Welcome back to Colin Shots. I am joined today after talking yesterday with uh, with Kirk Henderson of Mavs Moneyball about the uh, up and down Dallas Mavericks. I am uh, going into smoother seas talking about the Philadelphia <laughs> 76ers with uh, Derek Bodner of the Daily Sixer newsletter. Derek, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Um, Tongue in cheek. Uh, yeah, it you seems- know, it's, it's funny. When you asked me to come on, I had just written an article about the Sixers defensive turnaround. And in the span of, what was that, maybe four or five days ago, the season has seemingly completely turned and done a 180. So that is the nature of, I guess, a 500 basketball team is that there are very big peaks and valleys, and we are definitely in the latter right now. So let's let's start there because that's it seems like when I when I asked you, it's like, hey, you know, they've it's it's interesting because it seems like they found something, but it's not the the thing they actually have, and now, you know. Coincidentally, perhaps with with you know James Harden coming back, it seems like we've kind of gone the other way. So what what's going on right now? Yeah, well, they went through a stretch uh, basically through the month of November. They had the top ranked defense in the league, and some of that I think was you know Jedi three point defense, but some of it was was warranted. Uh, you know, I think they had turned around that side of the court since um you know since their early season struggles, and towards the end of that they lost a couple of pretty bad games. One against the Cavaliers, um, where they were pretty much run off the floor, a game that was not competitive. Some of that, the Cavs shot the ever-living heck out of the ball, uh, but the Cavs are a good perimeter shooting team, uh, so that will happen. And then the Grizzlies, where they got completely bludgeoned on the offensive glass and run out of the gym in transition. So that sort of soured the mood a little bit. And then Harden came back uh, against the Rockets in Houston and had one of the worst games I've ever seen James Harden play. And you understand some of that because he did just have a month off. He is 33. He has had a, a history of low, lower body injuries. Um, so, you know, he, he shot, I think, 0 for 8 at the rim. He didn't have a whole lot of lift on anything that he really did. And he dominated the ball in a way that James Harden dominates the ball. And when James Harden's not good and plays that style of play, bad things can happen. But on top of that, you know, it was amazing because they were playing the Rockets. right? And you sort of expect the Rockets to have this youthful energy and athleticism that the Sixers don't have. The trade-off is supposed to be that their talent and their experience will help them execute. And the Sixers came out and just made every mistake possible down the stretch of that game and lost one of the worst games that you will see a supposedly contending team lose. And they've had a string of that now. You know, they're two and five in games where Harden and Embiid both play. They've had some ups outside of that, but when those two have been together, they have not been good. And they have some real bad losses. They had one earlier in the season against the Spurs. They had that one against the Rockets. And it's a very confounding team. You know, it's a team that has not looked in sync together offensively at all. And it's a team that has obvious defensive shortcomings when you start James Harden and Tyrese Maxey in the backcourt. So they've been a a tough team to watch. You know, I think Sixers fans are teetering on the edge between anger and apathy. And that can be dangerous for a, a team to live in. Uh, but it has been a, a rough start to the season, I would say. Um, apathy is not the – certainly from the Philly sports fan, that's almost that's almost the worst. It's, yeah. you know – Well, I don't, they're, I don't... they're living in a tough environment right now. I mean, the Phillies just went to the World Series and, and made a marquee free agent acquisition. The Eagles are 11-1. and one, So there's a lot of competition right now for eyeballs, and it's a passionate sports fan for sure. But it's a, a, sport, a city where the Sixers have always had to kind of win that loyalty – and right now they're not they're not winning that for sure. And I imagine that's both a that's a combination of of results and style. Yeah, yeah, for sure. 
Um, they don't they don't come off as a team that you know when the Sixers went eight and six there without you know they had a a fourteen game stretch they went eight and six like I said the number one ranked defense in the league and they did that with I think Harden missed thirteen of the fourteen games Maxi missed like eleven and Embiid missed like half and were they great no their offense stunk for the most part their defense was great. But stylistically, they moved the ball. They looked like they were getting the most out of the talent that they have. And the Sixers fans and City sort of bonded with that. Whereas this version that's playing with and beating Harden is nowhere near making the most of their talent. They're not doing the little things. They're getting beat in transition constantly. They're getting beat on the glass constantly. And I think that has rubbed some Philly fans the wrong way for sure. So one thing that struck me, and and we talked about this on Nerd or She Wrote last week, is... is um, it seems like the scrappy, under-talented team that's got to maximize. I feel like that kind of plays to Doc Rivers' coaching strengths much more than I've got these three talented players that I've got to figure out to how to maximize and and really hone into a into a, a precision, elite offensive machine. Yeah, no, you're not going to get any argument from me on that. Um, you know, their 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 ball movements, their style was much better. Um, he certainly leans on his stars and gives his stars freedom, you know, which at times can be good because your stars tend to buy in when you do that. Not always. Doc Rivers clearly has had history where some good, some bad in that regard. But there's ups and downs to that. But this team right now, um, with the way that they're playing, I mean, it is it's tough to say because James Harden looked so bad uh, in his one game back in Houston. But he certainly, Doc Rivers certainly got way more out of Shake Milton and D'Anthony Melton. And again, I don't want to make too much out of that because they were the 28th ranked offense in the league during that span. Uh, but a lot of the bad habits that seep in when James Harden sort of runs the offense weren't there uh, and, and plays perimeter defense. Those bad habits weren't there either. Um, so they were able to maximize that a little more. But certainly they ran a more cohesive unit. Is it better? No, it's clearly not a better offensive system because you just don't have the talent level to compete. Uh, but he did get more out of the talent. I would 100% agree with that. One of the things that has I have been disappointed by, I guess, since the, the, the Harden trade is that this has become a James Harden team, not a Joel Embiid team. And, I, you know, at, at a certain point in their careers, that made sense. I think at this point in, the, in their careers, that makes no sense at all. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's 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 tough because on the one hand, Joel Embiid certainly like his usage rate, even when they're together, is going to be way higher. James Harden is still a way more creative passer, even though Joel Embiid has made substantial improvements year over year, and this year probably the biggest leap of all. It is still a little bit easier to run offense off of James just because he's such a good passer. But in terms of the ball being in his hands a lot and the offense being centered around him. Yeah, it's it's a little bit too much. Uh, you know, I think one thing that he did pretty well last year is he took a, a bit of a step back. And I think he probably understood with the hamstring, he wasn't all the way there. And he deferred more to Embiid. He deferred more to Maxi. Maxi really shined after James Harden's acquisition last year. And it seems like this year, after he had an offseason to work on it and to maybe get that hamstring a little closer to what it previously was, it almost seems like he wanted to show that he's maybe, if not, old James Harden, at least a little closer to that because he is someone who can opt out out of his contract. He took a supposed pay cut to, well, he certainly took a pay cut because he could have just opted in and gotten way more. So he took a pay cut uh, to sort of give them a little flexibility. I think his thinking was he will get that back 
when he has a good year and concussion. And I think there's a little, you know, a little pressure on him internally to prove that he can get back to what he previously once was. And is that realistic for a player with his history of injury at 33 years old? We'll see. But certainly, I don't think the way that he has played this year is as conducive to what this team needs as it was last year. Um, but I think part of that is he feels like he he's in a better spot and he wants to prove it. That that's I mean that that's he wouldn't be the first player who kind of misconstrues what is needed from the it's not I mean it, it, it's it's um feels weird to call this a make good deal but and you know yeah. it's the the star version of that um he wouldn't be the first player to sort of miss be misguided I guess on thinking well I'm gonna get my numbers that way everyone can see I'm back like no everyone everyone sees your back if, when the the Sixers are in the conference finals right right yeah. um. So what's like? What's the level of of tension? What's the level of of Joel Embiid's frustration, or or you know his, he, you know it. it, it yeah. I think that 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 some of the transition defensive issues are probably, um, you know, this is an explanation rather than an excuse. But I think that him not getting the ball when and where he wants probably yeah. he's never been the uh, the most diligent of transition defenders. We talking about Joe or Harden? Because I can make a uh, case for yeah. one. Well, in this case, I mean, in, in, in this case, in this case, uh, uh, Embiid. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that that like you know not it it being uh the the watch James Harden go between the legs show. Yep. Big sigh. I'll trundle back on defense. No, um, look, I think he made a comment. I want to say maybe it was after the Utah win. Could have been after a Milwaukee game. He made a comment recently that, you know. He was basically asked, how are things going to change when James get back? And he said something along the lines of, you know, I need to be a playmaker like I have been now. Like that has to remain the same. And that's really been the only, I would say, sign of frustration he has shown. I think other than that, he hasn't shown any frustration with Harden. But I think he wants the ball for sure. I think he wants to be responsible for a large portion of the offense. And is there any frustration now? I wouldn't say that, but it's certainly something that I would watch going forward. You know, I think he wants to win, and I think he understands that Harden in the pick and roll puts him in spots where he can be really effective. You know, when he is facing up, you know, center of the court, he's shooting something like 52% from the field with a turnover rate of like 6%. Like he's been very, very efficient. And James Harden gets him, helps get him into that spots, those spots. And I think he wants to grow that pick and roll. So I don't think he wants to take the ball out of Harden's hand, but I certainly think that he views himself as an emerging, certainly scorer. I mean, he led the league in scoring last year, but playmaker as well. Um, and there's really no question whose team this is. It's just how do you find that balance? Um, so I, I, I guess to recap it, I would say he right now has not shown too many signs of outward frustration, but that one comment about you know he needs to remain a playmaker was one that raised at least a little bit of an eyebrow. Sure, that makes sense. I'm it's I'm it's interesting to hear you say there's no question about whose team it is because that gets back to almost my first my initial question is like from a playing style standpoint again it's not it's not a it's it's not a post dominant I mean it it is cuz it's always going to be but it's not it it you know how a LeBron team is always looks like a LeBron team. Yeah. Like the Sixers how they play they you know look more like the Rockets of old than a team with the best 
or one of the two best post players in the league should. Yeah. No, I mean, and certainly, you know, I think Embiid has, I don't think he necessarily wants to be a pure back to the basket player like he was earlier in his career. I think he feels a lot more comfortable, you know, facing up from the nail and having the whole floor to survey. I think it make he feels that it makes him harder to, to double team. Uh, sure. So I think he's been growing in that regard, but certainly, you know, the hardened ISOs, you know, it's one thing when Embiid's off the floor. And, and this is one thing where, you know, we're talking again about seven games where they played together. So I think there's a little bit of acknowledgement that they probably had to figure out how to balance this. Um, you know, but when, when Embiid goes to the bench and you can run hard and pick and rolls with Montrez Harrell or Paul Reed, or you can put PJ Tucker at the five and go to that five out that Harden has always liked. Like, I think you can certainly have times where you flip between the two of them, but when they're together, I would agree that they need to veer a little more towards uh, this is a, an Embiid centric team. And again, Embiid's usage rate has to be like upper thirties at this point. Um, so I don't want to say too much, but I think to, back to his point, you would let him initiate more and and, and create a little more for others rather than being a little more of a finisher like maybe he is now. Sure. So it's certainly early in the season and, and we haven't seen it much because they basically, I don't think they've, they've shared the floor together since the the very first part of the season. Yep. Um, it seemed like, you know, that sort of battle of, of, of wills or, or styles or whatever left Tyrese Maxey as, as almost the odd man out. I thought going into the season, he was one of the biggest swing players in the NBA. And, you know, I, I don't even think he, I don't even think he was playing badly at the start of the year. I just thought he was peripheral. Yeah. Um, and then certainly when, when hard, when Harden went out, that, that changed a little, I just, how can they, you know, get those three, Hey, this is this is the million dollar question, right? How can they get those three to actually have some some creative synergy? I like how we say million dollar question when like that's a minimum salary contract. This is much more than a million dollar <laughs> question. This is a a hundred and whatever million dollar question. Uh, yeah, and to your point, for the most part, we have not seen a single game where all three of them have been going at the same time. Like Tyrese Maxey had that he had he scored something like seventy five points or something in two games up in Toronto, including a forty four point explosion. But that was a game where Joel Embiid was out. A lot of the early season success that James Harden had as an individual scorer came when Joel Embiid was struggling. Joel Embiid then dropped a 50-whatever-something in a game that James Harden was out. So there have been a lot of uh, individual success. And certainly Joel Embiid, since he's come back, has had a lot of individual success. But we haven't seen three of them, or even two of them really, go off at the same time. It is uh, certainly, I think... Tyrese Maxey, the first, and again, it's, it's, it's tough because these three have now only played, I think maybe five times together all season because Tyrese Maxey has not yet come back. So we're really picking like, you know, one game here, a, a, a swing of two games, maybe at most, but Tyrese Maxey, when he was, he started off the season was not utilized enough. That is certainly true. And trying to find maybe those, those pairings uh, when you start setting the bench, so you can give Tyrese Maxey, all right, well, here's here's a chance to have five pick and rolls in a row. Do something with it. Um, periods throughout the game. This is the one area, you know, I'll, I'll get down on the Sixers. And certainly after that Houston performance, it's hard not to. But where I'll get down on them is, you know, they're not doing the little things to overcome maybe some of the not having all of this figured out right now. They're not They're not hustling back in transition. They're not communicating well enough to pick up their assignments. Um, they're not making the effort to scram 
to switch back when they do have a mismatch. They're not boxing out on the the glass and, and preventing second chance points. And it's all these things. You know, I understand a little bit that Tyrese Maxey and James Harden and Joel Embiid have probably played, I don't know, maybe 100 minutes together so far this season. Uh, so there's going to be a little bit of a learning curve there and trying to figure everything out. But they have to do the little things that try to remain competitive and try to remain towards the top of the Eastern Conference so they can figure that out. And there's been no dedication to do that. So a lot of like what we're talking about here with in terms of like Maxi and Embiid and Harden getting it going all together and how they're going to do that, I think they still have to figure it out, which I'm mostly okay with, but they just haven't earned the benefit of the doubt in almost any other capacity. Um, so I think they need to rely more on on Tyrese Maxi. I think coming into the season, uh, one thing I said was I thought he should end up being the second leading scorer on the team because I thought he was a better half-court scorer right now than James Harden. Not playmaker, and that's a very key distinction. That's one area where Tyrese Maxi has to grow in order to warrant having the ball in his hands that much. But the way he was able to, you know, James Harden with his passing, his kick-ahead passing, his skip passing, um, he was able to create an advantage for Tyrese Maxey. Tyrese Maxey, when he gets the ball, he is as quick as anyone in the league. I'd love to see them get back to what they were doing last year, but I do think that requires James Harden to take a little bit of a step back, realize he's at a different phase of his career, and be a little more of the playmaker he was last year. Now, hmm. I think to to get at what you're saying, I mean, there, there are there are, you know, there are teams that that have to figure stuff out. Um, in some ways, the the Sixers are are, are fortunate that there aren't that many teams that actually seem like they do have it figured out right now. Unfortunately for them, it's their two biggest rivals in the Eastern Conference. Yeah. Yep. How much of it? How much of it is the fact that you know? Going into the season, like I, I'm, I'm not surprised at all that the Bucks are, you know, just kind of doing their thing. I like to say they're just washing clothes. You know, they they kind of very business like, just kind of even with you know players out and they sit Giannis and still win and stuff like that. That's just kind of the the Putin holds her way. Um, but the fact that the Celtics, despite you know Robert Williams and you know being team turmoil right before the season, are just blitzing everyone. That that certainly has to raise the temperature a little bit on the Sixers. It's amazing. I, I One of the things I get asked pretty frequently is, do you see anything in the Sixers that would indicate that they could be like last year's Celtics? Because I think back to mid-January last year, and the Celtics were an absolute train wreck offensively. I think they were, what, maybe like 20th, 22nd in the league, somewhere in that range. And there was real talk about splitting up the, the Jays. And for them to be right now, and I think a little bit is made... A little too much is made sometimes of, oh, you know, best offense in league history. Like, with the way offense is, is trending, the best well, offense in the league is almost always going to be pushing for the best offense in league history. But for them to come back out and be the best offense in the league right now is just an incredible turnaround, especially with, like you said, the turmoil that they've had, the, the instability in the lineup. So getting back to the question, do I see anything with the Sixers that would indicate a turnaround like that? No. <laughs> like, I don't see any kind of a sign that this is just, um, you know, that that James Harden is ready to pop the way they need him to, that, um, you know, they're willing to dedicate themselves. Um, but yeah, when you look at what Boston is doing and the gap that you would have to close to be competitive in a playoff series with them, you know, it's one thing for me to say, look, I think this team could end up, I picked them to win in the mid-50s games this year. I I, exp I had a lot of concerns about what they would be able to do in the second and third and fourth rounds 
if they ever got to it in the playoffs. Uh, and that's why I gave them, the, I think, the third best odds in the Eastern Conference to to or third best odds to win the Eastern Conference, even though I thought they would win mid-50s games, because I thought this would be a team that would blitz people in the regular season but had some real deficiencies that elite teams like Boston, like Milwaukee, would be able to exploit. And for them to be so far away right now, it's it's almost like they're playing a different sport. So, yeah, there's, you know, I still think they have a chance that they could end up being, you know, third or fourth seed in the East, although I think Cleveland's been better than almost anyone expected, even people who are pretty high on them. Um, but do I have a lot of faith that in a seven-game playoff series, they will match up well against a team that's, you know, running on all cylinders like Boston? No, it would be disingenuous for me to say that. So I, I like to say that you can't win the title in November and December. And if there's one thing that, that you know, okay, it, it, it could be worse. I mean, they didn't start the way the Lakers did, for for example. Yeah. Um, it's just, again, I, I guess you're looking for any sort of, any sort of green shoots. And, you know, that's, that, that, that again, almost gets back to, this is, this has been the overwhelming feeling about this team when, when healthy has, is been not adding up to not, not even, not exceeding the sum of the parts, but not even reaching the sum of the parts. Yep. Um, how much of that is their blowback? I mean, I think that you, know, you can't fire the players and the GM and firing himself. So like pressure has to go somewhere. Yep. Um, what is the, what is the feeling on the ground in, in those regards? Well, I mean, Sixers fans, I, I cannot. Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> if I tweet out that it is a cold day in December, that it's fire docker. It's it's comical to go to like the Sixers mentions, the Sixers Twitter accounts mentions. They could t- be tweeting out about, um, you know, a charity I, I that they're donating this, to. <laughs> I know, I, and it will was, be fire doc. Yeah, um, this was my, my. No, bud, I know. In the. the... The, oh. It was it was the you know the the last half season of 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 the previous coach. Um, anything that happened was just you know a deluge yeah. of of you know people with with fire JK avatars and, yep. and and stuff like that. And so it's so I'm not not necessarily even like the 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 online fan base is going to online fan base, <laughs> sure, but I, sure, but sort of in a in a more real sense. So I guess like if you're basically asking like are the Sixers right now debating internally anything like that or any rumblings that they are? I don't think they're at that point. You know, I do think there is a sense within the organization that they've played seven games together, that they need time to figure this out. That they still believe in a lot of the, the pieces they added in the off season. They feel like they're deeper. They feel like they have more pieces to compete, all of which I don't necessarily a hundred percent disagree with. Like I said, I can see them winning games eventually from here on out, but I always felt like their championship equity was almost directly tied to James Harden getting somewhere between where he was last year and if not where he was with the Rockets, because that's unrealistic, at least where he was in his first year in Brooklyn and getting somewhere between those two points. And there's just been so little evidence of that and so little um, evidence that these pieces can all fit together to at least elevate each other that it's discouraging, but I guess getting back, no, I have not. I think, I think the right now, and this could all change, you know, they, they go four and eight in their next 12, who knows right now. I do not get the sense that there is anything imminent or even being seriously discussed in that regard. Sure. 
Um, when does like when are we expecting Tyrese Maxey back? I would say within like a week or two, somewhere mm-hmm. in that range. They haven't given any kind of a definitive update. He is back to at least going through, uh, you know, shooting drills at practice and getting a little bit of run in. But I don't think we're like a couple days away. I think it would be at least a week, maybe up to two. So essentially, it's that that week or two to get him back on the court, and then a good solid month of evaluating what that looks like, and then that's the point at which we're going to whether it's trades, whether it's coaching, what have you. It seems like yeah. that is that is that fair to say what probably their evaluation timeline yeah. looks like? Yeah, I would say that. And you know, when you're talking about it, it's one thing trades. Okay, there's a, a big trade event that falls into that timeline. But you're not making a coaching change in February if you really like. When was the last time that happened and, and a team competed for a deep playoff run? I couldn't even imagine. Um, and I know Sixers fans listening to this will point out the Phillies. Well, that's a slightly different sport. Uh, the calculus is different. Um, I would be. A, I'm not going to say it's impossible. Like this team feels like it has a little bit of potential combustible energy to it. But I would set the odds that Doc finishes the season. Um, because just making a change, because like we said, you want to give them time to see how they all look together, to sort of build some chemistry, and making a change that late in the season is just very unlikely. And very, as you say, it's 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 asking a lot. I think I don't think people people realize how even if you do it, it's you're kind of doing it just to do it in terms of in this season. Like yeah, there there especially with a veteran team like this, it's not, there isn't a lot of time to come do a bunch of new stuff. Yeah. No, I would say if, if they do it, it's because, and I'm not saying he would, but this is the one avenue where it could happen. If Joel Embiid came up and said, we need to salvage the season, make a change. That's the, that's the, again, barring something like they go four and eight over the next 12. That's the only realistic path. I could see that happening. So assuming that's that's not a realistic path, then the only other only other avenue is kind of a a roster shakeup. Is there is there a move to be made? I think I mean one of the frustrations I've had with this team is like Tob- Tobias Harris is is overpaid. I think that's under, sure. but I think he's I think, but I also think he's completely wasted as stand in the corner and don't move. Yeah, I would get and, that. And I think that that's part of why they were, I think, a little bit resilient to, to missing some guys is, you know, again, he's not an all-star player, but he has some ability with the ball in his hands. And and so, you know, him expanding back to that was, okay, well, we haven't lost everything from those guys going. Um, but it seems like that's sort of a, in terms of allocation, like turning that roster spot, that salary money into something else that is maybe more efficiently complimentary. That seems like the natural kind of way to look, but is there, there, you know, and and Daryl Moore is very creative or has been over, over his tenure as a GM across the league. Um, So I I guess I'm asking you to put on, you know, look into your crystal ball and, and like what are, what kinds of things are being, you know, considered or, or tossed around. Yeah, I I'm, I agree with you on Tobias. You know, if you can get someone who's, you know, maybe a little more athletic, a little more viable of a perimeter defender, so you don't have to wear PJ Tucker down so much, or a little higher volume, comfortable as a higher volume or off movement three point shooter, <clears throat> someone whose whose skill set can be a little better of a complement 
when your full team's available rather than somebody who can be an innings eater when you need a need someone to to temporarily elevate their game that's certainly something you know Tobias he's got one year left on his deal so it's not quite the anchor it once was I think that is a possibility you know in terms of outside of that you don't really have many players with all that much trade chip you you at least have some salary matching flexibility um with small deals T. Steibel Furkan Korkmaz things like that uh, D'Anthony Melton, not that you would want to trade him because right now he's real key for what they do. Uh, but you have something like that if you want to push your chips in for something bigger. And obviously Tyrese Maxey, who has a lot of trade value with still a year and a half left on that. Not, I'm not saying they should, no, I, but I, they I just, will. I'm Don't. just, you, you, I'm you, just saying um, you do have that chip if a blockbuster comes along. Um, uh, you want Sixers to fans are canceling me right angle. now. Yeah. You want to see apathy turn to anger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> trade, the, trade the young up-and-comer and see what happens. But, you know, when you're talking about trade chips, they don't have all that much. Uh, so it would be a little difficult, which is part why Tobias is, is in play. Like, you've just got to split that up into two or three deals that are a little more movable, a little more easier to aggregate um, and fit what you're looking to do better. And, you know, we'll see. I think the real question will be, at that point in the season, are you looking at James Harden as someone you actually want to resign next year? Or are you hoping he opts out and maybe flipping Tobias so you can actually have money in free agency if Harden does opt out? Um, I'm not sure Daryl Morey would ever get to that point. I wonder if that romance is a little bit too, uh, you know, too long-term to think like that, and I worry about that. But I wonder how James Harden looks and what you're tr- planning on doing for the future. It's interesting. I was I was talking to to when I was talking to Kirk Henderson about the Mavs yesterday. We we made the comparison. He made the comparison between kind of the early Rockets, uh, the Harden teams, where okay, we got our guy, and then we're going to just cycle through around him. And it seems like that that you know as as he's progressed in his in, in his career, that has been something that has maybe changed a little bit about Daryl. Is that he? maybe doesn't quite have the appetite for the, the endless cycle, um, you know, or, or the fact that, that the guy is, is Embiid. And so the person who would get cycled out, like the, like the Dwight Howard, Chris Paul, Russell Westbrook in this, in this analogy is James Harden. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I, I, I just, I, I just find that interesting. I don't necessarily have a, have, have a question there beyond that. Um, So what you know? Where do you where do you think this ends up now? I mean, is it just is it? Are we just in for you know another four months of pain and a first round exit? Might get a second round exit. <laughs> who? No, I mean, look, you, if I... who who in the East would you? Who, what, what likely playoff team in the East would you take them in a in a seven game series? Oh, jeez. Right um, now. Well, Toronto and Miami aren't playing well. Uh, and I think those are two teams that the Sixers have historically struggled with, um, but I do think they could take them. Pacers, Embiid just dominates. Honestly, Cleveland, Embiid usually plays really well against as well. Now they got throttled by them recently, but I think that would be a tough matchup for both squads. I don't think Cleveland can necessarily defend Embiid, and I don't think the Sixers, I mean, Maxi and Harden trying to defend that backcourt would be bad. But I could see the Sixers being competitive just because they have an equalizer in Embiid. Um, 
honestly, the only two teams I think they would have almost no chance against is Boston and Milwaukee. Like, I think this team, when they get their stuff together, should be able to beat a decent chunk of teams. Not necessarily that you'd make them favorites. I think we have to see the rest of the season play out. But I could certainly see them having a realistic chance against a decent number of teams. I just feel like there's a pretty big separation between the top two, uh, which is where they wanted to be. Sure. Um, it, it's, it, it seems like that's a feature across the league this year of there's just so many teams that are just, you're just like, we started the season, you know, there's so many teams that have a chance. And now it's, it seems like, well, there's a lot of teams that had a chance and now everybody is in the mud and yeah. You know, in the East, it's the two teams you believe in. And in the West, there's kind of um, maybe New Orleans, who we don't know if we can believe in, and the Suns, who we objectively do not believe in uh, <laughs> from a postseason standpoint, and everyone else who's yeah. kind of like scuffling along. And the no, Sixers I mean, are right there in that. Yeah, I mean, the East is you've got the two teams that you know are good. Like, you know Boston and Milwaukee are good. Barring injury, they're good teams. And then you've got Cleveland, who has every right to be optimistic about their squad and about their trajectory. And everyone else is kind of like, you know, trying to look at their warts and being like, well, is that fatal? And I feel like that's where a lot in the East are right now from, you know, the Sixers to Brooklyn to Atlanta to Miami, all of them. I think they're looking at their warts and trying to figure out what is actually potentially fatal. Uh, and that's very much where the Sixers feel right now. They're in that group rather than the top two uh, or the top three. Um, and I'm not sure how they get out of that realistically. So let, let's put a pin in this team. And I wanted to to finish up just by, you know, I've had Sean Hyken on a few times and, and, and uh, I think you were probably a little bit of an inspiration to him, like, you know, starting his, his, his trailblazers newsletter. But I, I just kind of wanted to ask you about like the covering a team that way and, and, yeah. and, and kind of how, how that works. And, and also, you know, give you a little chance to do some commerce. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting. I, I did this once before, before I joined The Athletic, um, at a time where I had actually talked to Alex before they launched, but they had no idea when they were going to launch The Athletic in Philly. So I went into the newsletter route at that point back in 2017. So I sort of had a little bit of an expectation on how it would play out. It does always surprise me a little bit, like, you're no longer just a writer or a reporter, or in our case, also a podcaster and a sound engineer, but like especially because I, I didn't use Substack. I sort of spun up my own technology stack. Um, you know, I'm a network engineer again. I'm a system engineer again. I'm a billing administrator. I'm tech support. Um, that can, I think, sometimes be surprising. But in terms of, like, access to the team, I've had no problem in terms of access to, and I still have a deal with a local radio station, so I still have that. Um, the team's been great. Uh, nothing has really changed too much outside of the fact that, you know, I am writing to a very diehard, very select group, which is, I think, where I sort of, um, you know, where I fit in the best and where I think I can do my best work and where I'm doing the work that I'm most interested in. It's been going really well, uh, coming up right up here on the end of a year. Um, I do still have my podcast with The Athletic, so there's also that going as well. Uh, but no, it's, it's going well. Um, I think it helps a lot that I did this once before and I knew what to expect. I think it helps a little bit that I'm a technologist and I can sort of take some of the nitty gritty um, and comfortable with that. Uh, but it's, it's going well. It's, it's a real interesting challenge to try to build something up like that. Uh, and it's, it's fun. I've been enjoying it. 
What are some of the unique challenges of dealing with that? Of I don't know, dealing with it is is maybe the wrong word, but of and catering too is probably the wrong word also. But the, you, you mentioned kind of the diehard fan base. Yeah. I think there's a special set of challenges that sort of comes with that, and you're 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 almost beholden to the mood of that a little bit. If they're if I tell me if I'm wrong on this, but if you know the the that you know group is is uh um down on the team then anything you write that's positive is like you shill and if they're up on the team anything you write that's critical is stop being a hater um is that do you find that there's a little bit of that kind of give and take or or are they kind of is is your understanding of where the team is kind of matching the, their mood in general yeah I don't think too much that I have to, I don't think I have to worry about that too much in part because a lot of the people that subscribe have been subscribers, you know, for a long time. Uh, and they subscribed to me when I was at Patreon. Uh, they came over with me when we launched the athletic Philly and there's a lot of subscribers now. So I think a lot of them are a in it for the long haul. Um, you know, I sort of built, um, I don't want to say my career, but sort, like I, I got started in my career in the middle of the process. So necessarily having a uh, championship level team isn't a prerequisite for that. Um, no, I think noted non-opinionated <laughs> fan base, the, the yeah. process fans. Yes. Um, you know, I think what they want more than anything is they want honesty. And I think there's a lot of, you know, I think one of the challenges with media, especially in the social media age is you're always trying to reach the next subscriber the next reader the next viewer somebody click that link to you know click on your article and sign up um i think they're they're looking for someone who they just know wants to obsess over what's going on with the team and doesn't necessarily want to play that game and i think that's where i get a little bit of flexibility because i'm not necessarily always looking for that next subscriber i'm not looking for expanding my reach or writing something explosive i'm looking to take the subscribers that i do have and try to make them happy with the product and feel like they're getting their money's worth. Um, I get to be a little more focused on customer retention rather than customer acquisition. Uh, so I think when I write something, I think they generally, I think there's been enough equity built up over the years that they understand where I'm coming from and that I'm not trying to, you know, write something just for attention. Um, so I think even when I'm maybe more positive than they would expect, even when I'm maybe more negative than they would expect, they might disagree with me, but I think there's some trust built in because there's been such a one-to-one -one connection over the years uh, for a long time that I have, a, a, I think, a little more freedom in that regard. Um, I don't actually think I'm, I, I would say I'm probably less scrutinized in terms of, oh, you're a shill or, oh, you're just looking for attention because most of the subscribers are, are repeat customers, so to speak. Sure. What is the, um, you know, last question on this, and then I'll let you get out of here, is this, this is always a, it's something that, that certainly always surprised me. Like sometimes you just put something out there and people go nuts and it's, it's uh, so what is the thing that you got the most surprising pushback on kind of that you can remember recently? Oh, that is a good question. I'm not sure I have a great answer for that. Let me think. Um, you know, I think when I, 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 refuse to project them as a legitimate contender, you know, in my season preview, I think there is a little bit of pushback for that. Certainly. I think when you get to the point where in the preseason, we're all wearing rose colored glasses 
Uh, and I think a lot of people looked at the changes they made and wanted them to be ahead of the hated Celtics. Um, and I, I refused, not refused that, but I, I couldn't elevate them to that. I think there was maybe a little bit of pushback from that, but not too much. It was more like polite disagreement, but a little bit of pushback. You know, I think that's really the only one that's jumping to mind right now, though. Um, I would say for the most part, you know, I I think last year I sort of got into Doc a little bit when he, not even when he, he spoke to me, but when he, he spoke down to some of the reporters. Um, you know, I think a lot of times there are fans who don't want to hear about the plight of reporters. Um, so maybe there was a little pushback on that. But for the most part, I think, you know, I think the the, I mean, the reaction has been mostly positive, which I don't entirely know why, but I appreciate it. <laughs> well, that, that, that. Now, if you great. were going to, if you're going to ask yeah. that about on Twitter, when the audience wow. is much different, then yes, there is definitely some, some pushback on Twitter. Well, I mean, you know, the, the <laughs> rule number one is never tweet, right? Which yes. Both and certainly violate. never read your mentions. Yeah. Right. You know, um, no, that's, I mean, that I'm, I'm glad it's going well for you and uh, finish up by telling, telling folks who, if they're interested in, in the Sixers or just good NBA analysis and writing in general, where, uh, uh, where you, where you lie. Well, there is the, well, I, I lie on Twitter, but I, yeah. <laughs> in terms of the other lie, um, no, I'm, I'm, I'm kidding. Joke. Um, no, a daily com is the newsletter. The, the podcast distributed through the athletic is called Sixers beat and Easiest way is probably just on Twitter at Derek Bodner NBA. Well, Derek, thanks a lot for, for joining me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I've been wanting to have you on for a long time and I appreciate you doing this and um, hopefully for, for, you know, the Sixers sake, they, they are an interesting enough team uh, second half of the year that I can have you back. Yeah, no, anytime. Happy to. Well, thanks a lot. And thanks folks for listening to another episode of call and shots. I'll be back next week where I promise I'll talk about the Kings, which I meant to do this week and didn't get around to. Uh, thanks for listening and take care.